sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Well, all right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, I want to invite you to turn to Joshua 24, uh, 15 uh, this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, I'm going to get situated because normally I am when I get up here. But Joshua 24, we're talking about uh, carrying on our series, The Gospel-Centered Family, and this morning uh, talking about the gospel in your family and how the gospel uh, should be on display uh, in our homes, in our lives. And uh, I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers <clears throat> said, uh, more important than your work on Monday should be your worship on Sunday. I believe one of the best things that uh, we can do in our homes is make church attendance, um, the importance of a church family, and the gospel uh, the center of our homes. Psalm 145.4 says this, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's fathers passing it down to sons who will pass it down to their children, and it'll just continue, and we are responsible and have such a privilege just to speak the name of Jesus, but to declare His goodness and His works. But if we all admit, and I had to sit even this morning just reading over this at, at home, uh, for ministry pastors, our Mondays are Sundays. Uh, so I say this, this is for all of us, you'll get the gist of it. Oftentimes we tend to make Monday a priority and Sunday an option. So many times in our homes, even as we come and sit in a worship service this morning, I'm almost certain there's people who are already thinking about their week. We're already sitting there going, what about tomorrow? Man, I got this long list of things to do at work. And we talk about all of the great things that, that the week brings. And so often Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are our priority. And then we leave this idea of like, Go to church on Sunday if it fits into your schedule. That is not what it means to have a gospel-centered family. I mean, it is, it is to the utmost importance to our families that we make uh, Sundays a priority. Not because we live in the Bible Belt and the buckle of the Bible Belt and because it's the thing that we say we need to do. It is because if you want to raise a family that has eternity stamped on their eyeballs, that really want to do something great for God, Sundays needs to be an option, or must be an option, because that's where we gather together to lift up the name of Jesus as a body, uh, just to worship Him. And so, so many times we do that. And I think the most important thing we can do is declare what Joshua said, and we'll see it again in Acts 10. I want to read that too, uh, to our families about the gospel. I, I love Joshua 24, 15, and I, I referenced it a few weeks ago, but I want to read it again because I think this is important. I believe it is so important for us to have our minds already made up that this be something that, that we do with great intention. Joshua didn't just come to the end of his life and go, hey, this is what we're going to do. 
This is something that was practiced. When you read Joshua chapter 1, and God lays out Joshua how to be successful in what he was doing for the Lord and for his family, he told him, he said, listen, you don't turn to the left or to the right. You stay in my word, and you be courageous. And he went on. So Joshua had practiced this in his family. So he's not just coming here at the end of his life and saying that this is something that he made a priority. And it says this, verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods that the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, notice where he starts. But as for me, it has to start with you. And my house, we, we will serve the Lord. What a declaration to say, hey, listen, I, I don't know what everybody else is going to do. But I know what's worked for me, and we're going to continue doing that. And that's exactly what Joshua did to the end of his life. And we know in Scripture that it worked all the way up until the generation came that the Bible says knew not the Lord. And then in Acts 10, there's an interesting account that I think is worthy of seeing, especially being in the New Testament, where Cornelius has made his mind up. Listen to what 10, Acts 10 one says. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Here is a man who had made up his mind that the gospel was going to be the center of the family. How do we get there, and, and how does this even become a priority in our home? That's exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning. Number one, the role of the gospel in raising a family. First, the gospel needs to be seen, told and seen. This is one of the best things you can do in your home. It's to talk about the gospel, to always exalt Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And I love what Deuteronomy 11 says, and I, I'm going to read it from you from the Message Bible. I love what it says. Place these words on your heart. Get them deep inside you. Tie them on your hands and forehead as a reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talking about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. Inscribe them on the doorposts and gates of your city so that you'll have a long time, live a long time, and your children with you on the soil that God promised to give your ancestors for as long as there is sky over the earth. What he's saying is you need to talk about Jesus. You need to talk about his goodness. You need to get up in the mornings telling your family how amazing he is. And you need to go to bed at night telling them how wonderful he is. You don't need to, only need to talk about it. You need to show it. You need to display it. No, we're not walking around with phylacteries tied to our foreheads or strapped around our arms, but it should be seen in the way that we walk. It should be seen in the way we handle our affairs with one another. The gospel has to be told and seen in our homes. And in this passage of Deuteronomy 11, it basically says in every aspect of life, you need to talk about it. 
the world we live in is uncertain. We'll all agree with that. It is divided, it is distracting, and it is absolutely discouraging. But God designed the home to be a place to where it is filled with hope, it is filled with unity, and it is filled with encouragement to the families that God is aware and that God does care. And so our homes are designed for us, no matter what the news media says, no matter what social media says, no matter what the world is saying, our homes that are designed by God to be a place that no matter what's going on in the world, that our families can show back up in the afternoons and they can sit down and they can hear, hey, you know what, people are dying, people are ruining all kind of crazy things, the world is just going nuts. But let me tell you about a man named Jesus. That today, no matter what the government says, today, no matter what the world says, I don't care what statistics say, there's a man named Jesus that overrides every statistic, every government, every news outlet, and his name is Jesus. So today, we're just going to sit down and talk about how wonderful he is. And I just want to encourage you today, that is what our homes are designed for. I can remember this. In my home growing up. And I can remember my dad constantly talking about Jesus. And I'll have to admit to you, I'm not going to sit here and think, make it sound like I liked every moment of it. Because sometimes I'm thinking, man, would he just talk about something else? But he wouldn't. If you know my dad, he won't hardly have a conversation with him unless you're talking about Jesus. And every conversation turns to Jesus. And that is how I grew up. And, and I just remember, and we all have that B.C. moment before Christ. And I remember right out of, after high school, man, not knowing which way to go, not having anything figured out. And I got with a group of guys in Memphis, and I was running around doing everything that my, God, my dad told me not to do because I was 18. <laughs> and I was out of high school, and I could do what I wanted to. But I remember one night specifically laying in a floor in Memphis, Tennessee after running around all night with a group of guys. And every time I would doze off, all I could hear was my dad talking about Jesus. Every time I would close my eyes, I could hear him saying, this is not how you should be living. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I stand up, and I walk out of that house, and I get in my car, and I drive home. And I walk in the bedroom of my parents, and I said, you will never have to worry about me doing this again. I want to tell you this morning, don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel in your home. It's the very thing that drew me to Christ was a dad who loved me enough to talk about it and show it to me. So in here today, it needs to be told and it needs to be seen. Why? Because it has a ripple effect. I didn't know I was going to cry. I can't see. I'll take those off. Acts 16 is the account of the Philippian jailer. 
Paul and Silas are, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tore up today. They're in jail. Thank you, Mike. My grandson, by the way. They're in jail. And we know the story. Paul and Silas are not complaining. They're not crying. They're not mad. They're singing praises to Jesus. And the Philippian jailer, he saw something in them. He said, I want what you have. And what happens, they go to his house. And it says that he was baptizing his whole family. There's a statistic that's out that says that 93% of the family gets saved when dad gets saved first. Now, there's a lot of debate on if that statistic is, is true. I don't know if it's true. But I found this quote from Billy Graham in 1987. And this is his take on Acts 16. It says, indicating that they had learned in homes in which the father came to faith in Christ first, the entire family came to faith in 60% of the cases. When the wife came first, 40 to 50% of the families all accepted Christ. And in the, when the child came first, 25% saw the family become Christian. I don't know all the statistics, but this is what I do know. I know what the Bible says. And I know that when that Philippian jailer gave his life to Christ, that his family was saved. Because it has a ripple effect. Don't ever underestimate the fact, dads, that whenever you make the gospel and Jesus a priority in your life, that your family is not watching. And don't, don't, I mean, don't think for one minute that they may act like they're ignoring you, but they're not. And I can say that because I lived it. And I love what Isaiah 38, 19 says, and this puts some pressure on us as dads. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. When dad gets saved, the home is going to follow. And you stay the course. Man, I know stories of people. I was talking to somebody the other day that said, Man, I want, my, I want this person, my family, to come to church with me, but they won't come. What do I do? And we know a story of a, a dear friend of our family. Her husband would not come to church. She started coming to church, and she was so distraught because she, all she wanted was her husband to be saved. And my dad told her, he says, i tell you what you do. He says, you don't pressure him. You just wake up every Sunday morning and you iron his shirt and you iron his pants and you have them laid out on the bed and say, we're going to pray and believe that one day he's going to come walking through that door. I'll never forget the day he come walking through that door. That man walked down that aisle that very morning and he was saved. Why? Because his wife, she stayed faithful and she stayed true and it had a ripple effect on the family. And so from our hearts to our homes to all humanity, whenever we make the gospel a priority, it will change generations. And then imitation is the goal. Ephesians 1 and 2 says this, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and 
I'm just going to turn someday. I like to hear pages turn. I don't. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know what Paul's telling them? Imitation is the goal. Let that sink in. Imitation simply means doing what others do. We use a term in Scripture called multiplication. And in 2 Timothy 2, 2, you know what? He, he, Paul tells Timothy, what I've taught you, you teach faithful men who will teach others. It's the idea of multiplication. It's imitating that. And we have no greater example than Jesus Christ, who we see in Philippians 2, tells us, says, hey, you know what? Have this mind in you, the same mind as in Christ. And Jesus came and he lived a life of love. He wasn't swayed by religion and all the other things. And that is who we imitate. But can I tell you, as we imitate Christ, we want our families to imitate us. Phillips, Craig, and Dean, uh, man, they're, they're dinosaurs now, I guess, in the contemporary world. But man, back in the day, they were so amazing and still are. They had a song called, I Want to Be Just Like You. And this is just the course of it. Look it up sometime. Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. They're not only listening, they are replicating what they see. And the question I have to ask myself, and I've asked it throughout raising my children, is God, is my life that I'm living right now in front of them worth replicating? Because let's be honest, some of us don't need to multiply who we are. Some of us need to repent and confess our sins and begin walking with the Lord so that our family has somebody to follow. I heard Francis Chan one time at a conference of thousands of people, and they were talking about multiplication, and he walks up on the stage, and he looks around that audience, and he says, let's just be honest. He says, some of you guys don't need to multiply yourself because you're in an affair right now, and we don't need another one of you running around. And he goes through, and he lists out all these things. Let me tell you, is the life that we are living worth replicating? The good thing is, is that God's grace can overcome all of that. And we can just repent and stand up today and walk in a life worthy of imitating. The second thing is, is the gospel in your living room. Now, I have a long list of things, and I'm going to try to get through this quickly. I just looked at Tiffany as we were, I sit down, and I said, this looks like one of my dad's outlines. Like most Baptist preachers have three, out, three points. My dad had like 50. And then he had seven on top of that, plus seven more at closing, and then seven in amens. It's, and I told her, I said, this is kind of what my outline looks like today. But I'm going to go through these kind of quick, so, so stay with me. The gospel in your living room, number one, A, keep short accounts. What do I mean by that? Repent. Repent. Let repentance be modeled in the home. Matthew 7 says this, and this is a weird verse for this, but stay with me, you'll understand. And I, this is out of the message. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit is always has a way of boomeranging. 
It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? The reason I say that is we need to practice repentance. That means apologize quickly and sincerely. Let your children see repentance between you and your spouse, not only to one another, but also to the Lord. Because what it's saying to them is, I need Jesus. Like, I don't care if I'm a pastor. I want my kids to understand that I'm a sinner just like everybody else, and I struggle and I fight sin on a daily basis just like everyone else, and that I want my children to understand that God made a way of repentance so that we can turn and get away from that sin and turn back to God, and that needs to be displayed in our homes. Let me tell you, stop walking around like you got it all together. Because you don't. We all have problems. But what we also all have is repentance through Jesus Christ. And we can repent and we can display that in our home. And what it is, is it's training them to remove the log from their eye before they start looking at the dust in everybody else's. It's repentance. Keep short accounts. Two, roll out the red carpet. This is forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another... Forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And forgiveness takes great intention. And it also, it's one of those things where you have to deliberately ask for forgiveness, but you also had to humbly extend it. And so, if there's something going on in your family, in your life, or whatever, go to that person and be intentional about going, hey man, I messed up. I am so sorry, will you please forgive me? But then, when they mess up, don't hold back forgiveness, humbly extend it. Remember, you were forgiven as well. God forgave us, we should forgive others. It is a chance to me, forgiveness is a chance to apply the gospel. And the reason I call it rolling out the red carpet is it is saying that you are more important than the issue at hand. You deserve the royal treatment. And what's the royal treatment in any family, in any life, is simply forgiveness. And forgiveness, though, please hear this. It is not an isolated act, but a permanent attitude. It's not a one-and-done thing. It is an attitude of forgiveness. Why? Because, as Colossians says, Christ forgave me. And then a rapid response. That's extend grace. 1 Peter 3, 9, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job to bless. You'll be a blessing and you'll also get a blessing. Grace is the idea of responding with mercy. Return a blessing. We have received grace, so what should we do? Extend grace. In our homes, grace must be more than a picture on a wall or a monogram pillow on the couch. Grace needs to be exercised with high reps because when it's exercised with high reps, it leaves your family in great condition. That's a dad pun. The more I extend grace, the more in healthy my family will become. I remember... 
Tiffany and I are going through a difficult time with one of our children. I'm not going to call their names because they're either here or listening. <laughs> but I just remember over and over, at, man, we would lay down and cry at night. We'd be mad. We'd argue with one another. And I just remember the story I told you guys earlier about my dad. That night I showed up at the house. My dad didn't jump up out of his bed and slap me. He didn't take my car away from me. He didn't tell me how bad I was. You know what he did? He hugged me and said, boy, I've been praying for you. Extend grace. Because when we extend grace, it lets them know how important they are. Now, I'm not saying that you don't handle this stuff in truth and in love, and sometimes it takes tough love. But always, always, Extend grace because you have had it extended to you. A cross-centered home, that's simply don't judge. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When it, the question is, when it comes to considering others' actions, how do I respond? So in the home, if somebody has done something wrong, whether it be in general or to me, how do I respond to that person? Do, do I look at them and go, man, I can't believe you did that. That is terrible. I didn't teach you to do that. I didn't. How do we respond? And I want to always be on the side of this. God held court at the cross. And Jesus paid for my sin. And the judgment of my sins were dealt with and, and, and defeated. So when I'm looking at others, especially in my family, I don't look at them through eyes of like, I can't believe you did that, you sorry, no, no. It is looking at them through the cross and realizing that everything they have done has been judged and I am to extend the love and the mercy and the grace. Because this is what Hebrews tells us to do. Don't look at the fault or the wrong. Look at the altar and finisher of our faith. And when I keep my eyes on Jesus, I am less likely to judge others. And so listen, a cross-centered home, don't judge. Acknowledge God's gifts. Be grateful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. and everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, look around you this morning. God's been pretty good to us, right? I mean, your family, if your family's here today, man, God has been good to you. If they're serving the Lord, God has been good to you. We have a roof over our heads, shoes on our feet, food in our pantries. God has blessed us. But how often do we forget just to simply go, God, just thank you. Thank you. I thank you for all those sleepless nights with all the kids. Thank you that, God, they have now grown and all of them are following Jesus. God, thank you that you have provided along the way. Whenever we didn't see a way, you made a way. 
God, thank you that we come to a church where we can worship and be taught the Word of God, where we can love one another in a community. It's just simply being grateful and letting that be seen and displayed at home. I, I, I love that. I, I love the fact that I can honestly say that my family actually likes me and Tiffany. I mean, I, I count that as a joy that they do, that they actually like us and want to be around us, that they love one another, that our family loves one another. Uh, we've had to ref a lot of fights in the days, but I mean, they actually have a deep love for one another. And I can tell you, I've messed up way more than I've done right. Tiffany and I, we apologize to the boys as they got older. If you don't know, we have seven. We have three boys, first litter, three girls, second litter, and then we have an adopted son. So the first set litter, we were young and thought that the only way to make them mine was to beat them. So if you're sitting behind us in church when the boys were little, Tiffany pulled out a wood spoon, and you hear that daring daddy's preaching, it's because they were acting up. As we got older, we were like, well, not everything deserves the wood spoon. This does, but this don't. And so with the girls, we were a little bit lenient. They fight and claim that J.C. has never had a whip, and I disagree. I think I did one, maybe. Not sure. But the thing is, is we messed up a lot. But I just simply put where I messed up but God. Because where I've messed up, he's always been there to make up. And he's always done his part. And so make it a habit to vocalize to your family that God has blessed you. It's the simple doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And let that be the, the tune in your home, that there's always that God is good. Go the extra mile, serve others. First uh, John three sixteen. by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Serving others is simply loving outwardly. And, and it's saying that, hey, I want to serve you, I want to put you in front of myself. Uh, it is thinking, literally thinking less of yourself, as John the Baptist says, I must decrease so he can increase. Uh, serving is actually doing that. We live in a culture where that's counterintuitive because the culture is teaching us that everything's about us. So even in our homes, everything's about me. It's how many likes I have, how many people follow me, it's how many people accepted this. Oh, look, they did that. In our homes, we need to, to let it be known that it's not all about you. It's okay, parents, to tell them it's just not all about you. If you don't want to say it, Rick Warren has a really good book written many years ago called The Purpose Driven Life, First Five Words, It's Not About You. Changed my life, literally. That sentence changed my life. Uh, because for the first time, I realized that <laughs> you're really not that important. And it's okay to say, put others first, serve others. Simple little acts, man. I don't know if y'all think this way. Like just the other night, we were had like most all of the kids and grandkids over, and it was a big, it's big. And I just remember sitting there, and one of the girls, I don't remember exactly which one it was, just walked by and just started picking up other people's plates. 
and taking them and putting them in the garbage. That's serving others. It's just little things, man, that make a huge difference in other people's lives. So serve others. Uh, take time to remember. Uh, I call this extravagant love. Uh, Luke 7 is the account of the woman who comes in and, and anoints the feet of Jesus with the very expensive perfume. Uh, how loved are you, and then how do you love? Um, when I become less loving than the people around me deserve, I have to look at Jesus, because he says no greater love is this, a man who lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is the display of love. And I love the story in Luke 7 about the woman. If you know the story, she has been saved. She's coming down, uh, walking into the house. She's got this very expensive bottle of perfume. All the people around her are, are mocking her, going, why is she wasting this perfume? And I love Jesus' response is that she basically is given the best that she has, and this will be a memorial for her for the rest of history. How much did she love Jesus to pour out that very expensive bottle of perfume. It was extravagant love. And I just wonder, when's the last time, I have to ask myself this question, that I poured out that kind of love on my family and then that kind of love on my Savior? To where it's like, this is, God, I want to give you my very best. I just want to lay this at your feet. And then the next thing is, tell everyone you meet. I call that speaking up. First uh, John 1 4, I love what 1 4 says. He John tells his listeners that he has written these things that their joy may be full. He said, I want to sh I'm sharing this about Jesus so that your joy may be full. And then in Acts 4 20, you see where they tell Peter and John, don't ever speak the name of Jesus again. And they said, Hey man, we can't help but speak of the things we have seen and heard. I just want to ask you a question. Like when you run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and you start talking back and forth, we, we ran into some people the other day that we hadn't seen in a while, and, and the next thing I know, Tiffany has her phone out, she's like, man, look at this, these are my kids, these are the grandkids, just look, man, we're so, you know, y'all don't do that? Like, nobody else, yeah, you do. I know, because graduation just took place, and everybody's pages were full of graduation pictures. We speak up to the things that are important to us. We speak up when it comes to telling people about our kids and our grandkids, and, oh, this one's going to this school, and this one's getting married, and this one had this child, and this one's doing this, and, man, we're doing this. We talk about it. But we need to speak up in our homes and to the people around us that, man, there's a man named Jesus, and he's the one that makes all of it worthwhile. It's simply speaking up. Tell everyone you meet about Jesus. And you're like, man, I just have a hard time doing it. It's not hard. I'm going to give you evangelism 101 really quick. The next time you run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while or somebody that you want to share Jesus with, here's what you do. You just take your phone out, pull out your pictures, and go, hey, look, this is our newest grandbaby. And they're like, oh, they're so beautiful, man. Isn't God good? Let me, let me tell you about how good he's been to me. It's really that simple. And then you can just go into the gospel about, you know what, I don't deserve this blessing of a family that God's given me. As a matter of fact, I don't deserve anything but hell or worse. 
But man, Jesus saved me, and he planted me on a firm foundation. He put a new song in my heart, and he's the reason that I can look at this picture with such joy. It's just that simple. And I didn't pay for that at seminary. It's really that simple because we will talk about what we're passionate about. All you got to do is speak up. Uh, the next thing, face to the ground. Worship. Family worship is important. In Hebrews 12, 28-29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Family worship is powerful and it is effectious. Uh, we stand and scream and cook together over every other thing. Like, you know, we want to get together if it's a team that we love playing in the championship. And we'll, what I mean by that is we'll get together and we'll scream at the TV. We'll cook a meal over that team playing. Uh, we'll lay out all the fine things. And we're teaching our family. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, okay? But we teach in our family like this is so important. But what if you had a time where you just sit down together as a family at the table and just talk about how wonderful God has been to your family? Worship doesn't always have to be music. Worship doesn't always have to be planned. Worship can be spontaneously done in the home. Just simply having a posture toward Him and reverence toward Him because He is a consuming fire. He is an amazing God. And then bended knees and broken hearts, I call this prayer. First Chronicles 16, 11, Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. This hands down, out of this whole list I'm giving you, this is the most difficult thing to do as a family. This is the one place that the enemy will attack you the most. He pulls out like every weapon that he has when it comes to the family praying together. Why does he do that? Because it's the very life and breath and heartbeat of our Christian life. Uh, it teaches intimacy with God. It allows our family to see God work. When you pray for things and for people and different circumstances in life with your family and God answers that, then you can go back and go, remember praying about this? And God answered it. It's just simply that. It expresses love. It expresses forgiveness and grace. And it creates this awareness of God's presence. But it is absolutely the most difficult thing to do because this is where the enemy attacks the most. Uh, the last one is, this world is not my home. I just call that focused on eternity. Revelation 7, 9, I looked again. I saw a huge crowd. This is the message. Too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes and races and languages. They were standing dressed in white robes, waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb, and heartily singing salvation to our God on His throne, salvation to the Lamb. I say that to say, talk about heaven in your home. Talk about the day that you're going to get to see Jesus. You don't do it in a morbid way. You just celebrate like, man, we are living this life so that one day we can be around the throne. It's the old song, will the circle be broken? 
It's the idea of like, tell them how amazing heaven's going to be. And then it's worth every hardship, every trial, every circumstance that you're going to face on this life. It's temporary. These afflictions are but temporary. But man, there's an eternal way to glory that we're going to experience when we get to heaven. Talk about heaven in your home. But talk about everything else. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the throne of God. Talk about all the people that are going to be around. Talk about being involved in getting some of those people there. Talk about eternity in heaven, in your home. Because what it does is it takes the focus off everything this world throws at us. And it lets us know that we are living for something far greater than just a dash. So talk about eternity. And then I'm going to wrap this up quickly. The reason you live out the gospel in the living room is because of what point three is all about. The gospel-centered family mission. First thing is painting a portrait. If you look in Joshua 24, 15, what does it say? Joshua, just, just think about this. Everyone loves a good family portrait, right? And some of our greatest moments... In our, that we've captured as a family has been at church. It's been, I mean, we got a picture just the other day from Shelby just standing here last Sunday praying with our girls. And then the whole circle, the whole family just gets together. Those moments capture, but we all love family portraits. We like to look back uh, when the kids are younger and go, man, look how much they've grown. Now the family's big. We, we don't have portraits at our house. We have now have like whole walls because there's so many others. But a family portrait. And I just think about Joshua 24, 15. I kind of focus Joshua sitting there with Miss Joshua. Don't say her name, so I'm just calling her Miss Joshua. Uh, it's not biblical, I mean, as far as we don't know her name, but we'll just call her Miss Joshua. They're sitting there with all the kids. And I'm thinking they probably have one of those big family Bibles. You know, where we had one growing up. I just hear Joshua make this declaration to the people around him. As for me and my house, like, we're going to serve the Lord. And you know what I love about the Jewish custom is when he said house, he didn't just mean him and Miss Joshua. He meant his sons and their wives and their children, that his daughters and their husband and their children, and then the next generation, the grandchildren, it went far greater than just their home. When he says, for me and my house will serve the Lord, he's like, we're going to talk about Jesus and display the Lord to all of our family, and we have made up our mind that no matter what comes, we're going to serve the Lord. What a heritage, and what... A family portrait. Because here's the thing, when God instituted the family, it is literally Him showing us something about Himself. And it's all about a relationship. So listen, part of your family's mission is to be a portrait of the grace and love of God to the people around you. And then the second thing is open door and open hearts. I think one of the greatest examples is 2 Samuel 9, when David extends to Mephibosheth to come back to the kingdom. Mephibosheth, really quick, Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, David and Jonathan had a covenant together. 
David is now king. Mephibosheth flees down to Lodabar. Uh, David sends somebody to Lodabar to get him, bring him back. Mephibosheth thought he was coming back to be killed because it would have been right for David to have killed the former king's relatives so that they didn't try to rise up and take over the kingdom. But what does David do? David, number one, in 2 Samuel 9, 1, said, Is there anyone in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? That's odd. You should be pulling out the sword, but instead you want kindness. You read the story when you get to verse 13. It says that Mephibosheth sit at the king's table continually. Open hearts leads to open doors. And that is part of the job, the responsibility for your family. The words that have been tossed around in our home for a long time is life on life and life on mission. And we've tried to instill in our children and in the people around us is simply just building relationships and building family with them. Life on mission is understanding that we have a greater potential of reaching people when the gospel is displayed in everyday life. And so people that have come into our home, people we've invited into our home, it hasn't always worked out. I mean, I remember one time bringing a young man into our home and, and one of the boys played basketball with him. And, man, we really wanted to reach this kid for Christ, man. And we let him come and he was staying at our house. But he never would just, you know, we talk about Jesus, talk about going to church. He'd get all defensive. And one day he just really said something really ugly to my wife. And I simply just went to him. And I said, man, as much as I love you and as much as I want to share Jesus with you, you cannot come back to my home because you cannot disrespect my wife. And it broke my heart. And part of doing that sometimes, it's dirty. But it's worth it. Because there are ones that God just simply reaches down and just touches. But you have to be willing to open your heart, because open hearts lead to open doors. It's allowing your family to simply build relationships for His glory, being intentional when people are in your home just to talk about Jesus. And this is not, we call it, we have really crazy phrases. We call when, you know when people like share the gospel with you and they're forcing it? Y'all ever have people come up to you and they want to share the gospel with you, but they want to choke it down. We call it shoving chicken down people's throat. You, you don't bring people in your home and shove chicken down their throat. You bring people into your home and you just simply, in an everyday conversation, interject Jesus and how amazing he is. It's simply all it is. And so you, you do that and you bring your children into those moments. Open doors and open hearts. And then the last thing is a family mission statement. Uh, Ephesians 3. I, I want you to turn there and I'll be done. Ephesians 3. I want to read 14 through 21. I think this is a great place to start when it comes to like, man, what is our family all about? How, how do we really want to live our lives? And verse 14 says this, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may, this is it, that Christ may dwell 
in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God, that to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this verse has a whole lot to unpack. But I think just some things to think about for your family. First of all, that Christ dwells richly in your home. That that that, that rooted love, that grounded love, that in everything that you say, do, every part, should be that Christ resides in our home. And that that love would be displayed. It wouldn't just be talked about, but it would be actually displayed in our actions, going back to point to the gospel in the living room. And when you do that, you just leave all of it up to the Lord, and God will always do more than you can ever think or imagine. When we yield ourselves to Him, when we surrender our families to Him, when we say, God, it's just you and you alone, God, we're just going to just extend our lives out to you to do what you want. God will do more than you can ever think or ever imagine. And I'll sit here today and tell you that I do not have this message down pat in my life. It's something I strive for. It's something that we have done and we've watched God use it. Man, there are so many days that I'll fall short of many of the things I just talked about. But that's the reason the gospel in the home is so important. Because what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ displayed for all of us. And when I fail, I want my family to see the gospel. When they fail, I want them to see the gospel. And I know all across this room this morning, we could all go, God, I, I, I want my living room to be more like that list. God, I want my family to be on mission for you. God, I, I want all of these things. God, I want you to be first and foremost in everything that we say and do. And what I love about him he doesn't hold anything back. When we ask for it, he'll give it to us. And so this morning, all across this room, if you say, God, I want my family to be more on mission for you, simply gather your family up today and make a declaration that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. God, give us the strength to do it. Give us the heart to do it. Give us the humility to do it. And God, he'll do it. Maybe in your day and you're like, man, my family's wrecked. It's not wrecked so far that the gospel can't bring it back together. It's not busted in so many pieces that the Holy Spirit, He knows where every fragment of your broken family lays, and He has the ability to pick it up piece by piece and put it back together exactly the way He designed it to be. If you don't believe me, read Jeremiah 8 doesn't throw the clay away. He takes it and he molds it into what he wants it to be. And he 
you sit here today and go, I've made a mess. My life has been jacked up and I haven't done anything right. The next right is the step you take toward repentance. You simply go, God, I, I, I've made a mess of it, but I want to just give it to you. He has a way of bringing it all back together. You may be here today and you may be totally lost and on your way to hell. There is no greater news than the gospel. There is nothing better for you to hear today is that there's a man named Jesus who loves you. He came and bled and died for you. We were talking about in Sunday school this morning about salvation. Salvation is a free gift, and we talk about it all the time. And I'm going to tell you something about salvation. Depending on what side of the transaction you're on, it's a lot. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. God was willing to pay the price for your redemption by crucifying His Son on a cross. And I can tell you today that you have not gone so far that the hand of God cannot reach you. You're not so far lost as the enemy wants you to think that His ear cannot hear you. The thing is, is He's waiting with love and open arms for you just to make that declaration, I need you, Lord, and I repent. I don't know where you sit today. I don't know where your family sits. I don't know. But I know this. I know there's a God in heaven who has really big plans for your life and the life of your family. And he wants to use you for far greater things than even what you can think or imagine. It's simply you yielding yourself to him. So this morning, I'm just going to simply invite you. If God has spoken to your heart, as we say every week, the altars are open. listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.